We've had a ton of conversations in my house about what life after high school might look like. And that is because I have five kids and all but four of them are out of high school. So nobody knows more than me how hard making those decisions can be. And frankly, with so much changing in the world, even as we speak, it does make you wonder, like, is college still even worth it? So today, my guest is going to help us answer that question. Okay, Jose Luis, you have one sentence to make me care about college. College is the best vehicle to allow a person to be a lifelong learner. And we know from the data that with a college degree, you are better off in the long term than if you only have a high school diploma, both in terms of economic returns as well as non-economic returns. Not all of my kids chose a traditional four-year path, so I am definitely interested in hearing more. Created in partnership with the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, this is Make Me Care About. I'm Jen Hatmaker, and with me is Jose Luis Cruz Rivera, president of Northern Arizona University. And today, Jose Luis is helping us care about college. Hi, Jose Luis. Thank you for having me. Okay, Jose Luis, I'm obviously super interested as a mom to hear more. And I'm also curious to ask some questions for folks who aren't parents or they're not yet engaged in the higher ed system already. Well, first, if you only have a high school diploma, the likelihood that you're going to be able to earn enough with one job to sustain a family is nearly zero. Second, uh, there are certain colleges and universities that have a track record of propelling large numbers of low-income students to the middle class and beyond. And third, we know that a college education, because of the potential returns of investment, um, is one of the most consequential decisions that a family must make. And so they should care about what it could potentially mean for them and their communities. Let's start here. You are obviously invested in a university space. I got a four-year degree too, but I'm thinking about the people listening whose kids picked a different path. Frankly, me being one of them. I've got, of my five kids, four of them are post-high school. One of them didn't pick college. He chose a different path. And some kids do, or some kids, frankly, just can't access a four-year degree for a lot of reasons, for a lot of factors. And it's certainly financially prohibitive in a lot of cases. And so there's trade schools and there's certificates and apprenticeships and associate's degrees. You know, there's just, it feels like there's a lot of slivers to the pie chart here. And I'm curious your response to some of those alternative paths. A lot of times we throw around the word college to mean several things, right? I mean, there's, of course, four-year institutions, there's community colleges with two-year degrees, there's an increasing um, tendency for credentials, for short-term certificates and credentials that could give you a leg into uh, a good high-paying job uh, right out of high school. But the reality is that each individual must look at their particular interest, their particular constraints. Some of us are place-bound and have to choose someone the opportunities that are available to us near to us. Some are time-bound, so in-person versus online versus hybrid. And so each individual has to make a decision of what is the best way to pursue what 
we call quote-unquote college, knowing that there's a lot under that word. Um, regardless of where you start, if it's with a certificate or an associate's, that we build stackable pathways so that the work that you're doing, getting that certificate will then allow you to accelerate your progress towards an associate's and an associate's towards a bachelor's degree. Okay. So this is a big term. We say college, but there's a lot of slivers in the pie chart. What about this? Is it worth going to college if you're going to accrue student loans? This is a big question a lot of young people and their families are asking. I think generally speaking, yes. It's an investment in your future. We know um, from uh, myriad studies that you will, over a lifetime, be more likely to earn significantly more um, economic and non-economic returns from a college degree than just from a high school degree. Um, so that is true on average. Now, for that to work for individuals, right, going away from the average into actual uh, individuals, that we need to recognize that it is important, as with any major investment in life, buying a, a house or a new car or even a cell phone, that you do your research, right? And so it is important for students and their families to understand what the opportunities available to them are, how they connect to the local workforce, how they connect to their long-term aspirations, evaluate what the expected debt levels are, but not just the expected debt levels, also the expected earnings. So you guys, obviously, as a mom to a whole mess of teenagers and young adults, this conversation is super interesting and relevant to me, and I am totally paying attention. But I'll tell you what I am still wondering about that I'm going to ask Jose Luis next, and it's this. Obviously, the data suggests that a four-year degree is the strongest path toward upward mobility. But historically, this has just been a privileged conversation because a four-year degree is so cost prohibitive for so many kids and families. And so what I want to know next is what's happening currently to eliminate some of the barriers to this possibility for kids? Because if this is only a conversation for privileged families who can simply afford college, then it's not a good conversation. So what's going on to make this on-ramp way more accessible? So that's my next question. And we're going to get to that after the break. This is Make Me Care About You Guys. I'm Jen Hatmaker, and we'll be back to learn more about college in a moment. I'm Chapin Springer, and I work on communications at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. You know, one of the parts of my job that I'm deeply grateful for is the chance to learn from the colleges and universities the foundation partners with. My favorite example of this was years ago, meeting Justina, who after years of being out of school, raising a family and working, wasn't quite sure if college was for her. She ended up at Johnson C. Smith University in Charlotte where she worked with an advisor who helped to figure out how to juggle her class schedule along with childcare, work, and other responsibilities, and put her on a path to getting her bachelor's degree. Not only did Justina finish her bachelor's, she went on to earn two master's degrees, even studying alongside her daughter, who was also getting her master's. Now, if that's not the kind of story that inspires you, I don't know what will. So if you want to learn more about the amazing work of our partners, visit us at gatesfoundation.org and sign up for our newsletter, The Optimist. 
This is Make Me Care About. I'm Jen Hatmaker, and with me is Jose Luis Cruz Rivera, president of Northern Arizona University. And today, Jose Luis is talking to us about the importance of college. Okay, so from your perspective, what can colleges and universities that are absolutely committed to transformation do to improve their students' outcomes and also eliminate race or ethnicity or income as predictors of student success or lack thereof? I think committed institutions must really engage earlier with future students. And that may mean um, working closely with their community colleges and their K-12 schools to ensure that the students developing the aspirations, first of all, to go to a college, then that they are getting the preparation they need to be successful and the support as they go through the admissions process and the onboarding at the university. So that's for the traditional students. We also need to see more universities be thoughtful about those that have opted to go down the certificate route or the community college route or in the workforce and want to come back. How do we similarly structure seamless pathways so that they can see that it's not only a fairly straightforward process to come back to school, but that what they have already learned through those various experiences they've had will gain them credit. Uh, academic credit so that they can accelerate their progress towards their next degree. So that's an important piece of it. Another is once you have these students, it's first do no harm. You have to recognize that your students come from diverse backgrounds and have diverse needs and differing aspirations. And so how do you develop as a university or a college differentiated services will meet students where they are? And that requires a lot of thoughtfulness and intentionality and purposefulness and, and yes, the willingness to reallocate funding or, or advocate for additional public or private funding in order to be able to serve the full needs of your students. And, and I'm talking here about things academic for sure, but, you know, you have to deal with the financial pressures that students face, housing insecurity, yep. you know, food insecurity, mental health issues. If you're Don't address those, then really focusing in on the academic uh, and co-curricular piece is a lot harder. That's right. How about this question? Are there specific measures colleges can take to help their students navigate the post-secondary educational system in such a way that they finish their degrees? What kind of support helps students cross the finish line most? So there are a variety of things that universities can and are doing to address those basic needs. Then, of course, it's creating an inclusive environment where students, regardless of what their backgrounds are, that they feel they can affirm their identity, that they can build community, and that in doing so, they can then contribute their diverse lived experiences towards strengthening the educational process. Once you have that, once you have the basic needs met and you have the inclusive environment that, uh, that, that creates the, the conditions for learning, the optimal conditions for learning, then it's about the academic and co-curricular support that uh, universities can give to students. Everything from supplemental instruction to peer mentoring, to tutoring, to experiential learning opportunities, undergraduate research, um, exposure to the arts and, um, and the humanities in a way that will allow them to really expand their, their worldview. Those are issues that are so important for universities to do well, to make sure that their students are not only 
prepared for the workforce, you're also prepared for life. And finally, I think, um, and this is sort of an increasing focus in higher ed now, what are the internship opportunities available, clinical placements available? What are the things that they will have in addition to the degree that will give them a leg up uh, as they enter the workforce or pursue higher levels of education in in graduate work? Mm. I love to hear that. You mentioned to me before we started recording that not only is this the largest incoming freshman class in Northern Arizona history, but also the most diverse. So congratulations on that. And I think that's so wonderful because to the same degree that we don't want race or ethnicity or income to be a predictor of a lack of success, all those factors can certainly be an enriched environment. That makes for an incredible campus. That makes for a really wonderful student body. And um, and so those factors are an absolute advantage when cared for and harnessed well. How much of a barrier to entry are, for example, student aid, complicated loan forms for Black or Latino, Indigenous students, or students from low-income backgrounds who are applying to college? It is a barrier, but I would hope that the idea of it being a barrier would not dissuade people from uh, considering their options and acting on them, given all of the benefits of post-secondary debt education that we have been discussing. Um, the reality is that lots of work has happened in recent years to simplify those processes. Perhaps somebody who was trying to help a, a child or a nephew or a family friend uh, navigate the process 10 years ago, if they were to do it again today, would find that it's uh, much simpler. Many colleges and universities and even high schools and nonprofits are there when the time comes to fill out, for example, your your FAFSA for financial aid. Um, We have the Accounting Students Association going to high schools and helping parents uh, fill out the the form. So seek out help and and more likely than not, you will find it. You know, the other thing I will say is that it's a one-time process, right? So yes, there's a little bit of pain up front in filling out all of these forms, and it may take a few days, but the rewards are measured in a lifetime. From the perspective of universities, messaging is important. So I'll just share one specific thing we've done here at NAU to make it clear that we're not only accessible, but affordable. We worked with our financial aid packaging uh, so that we could just come out and say publicly that if you are admitted to NAU and come from a household with under $65,000 in annual income, which is more than one out of every two households in Arizona, that you will come to NAU tuition free. Wow, that's amazing. So that's, that's a way in which universities can really help counter this friction in people thinking it's going to be hard to apply, it's going to be hard to get financial aid, we don't really understand how the process works. And that's more of the type of messaging that we hope will come out of higher ed in the future. Well done. That's amazing. I wonder if you could tell us maybe just a favorite story of a kid who maybe on paper was going to be an unlikely student or going to have to overcome some hurdles to get there and then just their star just rose right on it. Yeah. I'll share one of my favorite ones, which is of a student that did go through the process of getting admitted uh, to one of the universities where I taught several years ago. 
He did get into the university, but he did not have the strongest credentials. And so when he was trying to access certain services and opportunities at the university, some of which were driven by quote-unquote merit, as measured very specifically by a GPA or a particular data point, it was hard for him to to get access to that. But yeah, he had big aspirations. And I remember one day he walked into to my office as a faculty member. I, I had another colleague whom I shared the office with. And they walked in and he really wanted to do undergraduate research as a means to really learn and, and position himself better for his career. But his GPA was not where he needed to be because he had to work, you know, full-time jobs sure. and, and, and whatnot. We gave him a chance. And long story short, he not only graduated with a bachelor's degree, he went on to get a PhD degree and now is in a Fortune 500 technology company with the title of Distinguished Engineer. So that just speaks to the potential being there and um, how it is important for people like him uh, at institutions to come together and make sure that people's aspirations are met with the support they need to meet them. You guys, I hope that that was as just helpful and useful to you as it was to me. And I'll tell you that I actually walked away from that conversation feeling encouraged because never has it been easier or more accessible for more kids to get a four-year degree. But I loved hearing Jose Luis talk about the success stories he has seen and how many resources are now wrapped around high school kids to allow them access to college. That is, it's great. So if you'd like to learn more about Jose Luis's work, you can check out the show notes. And if you liked this episode, follow the show to hear more things to care about. Also, you guys, we'd be grateful if you'd share this episode with a friend. Make Me Care About is produced by Jesse Baker and Eric Newsom of Magnificent Noise. Our production staff includes Sabrina Farhi, Hewitegatana, Julia Natt, and Kristen Muller. Our executive producer is Eric Newsom, and I'm your host, Jen Hatmaker. <laughs> <laughs>